Thank you so much for joining us for this message. Whether you're watching for the first time or you're simply catching up on a message that you missed, we're so glad that you are connecting to God's Word today. Our hope is that as you listen to the message, you'll experience a real encounter with God. Please consider giving financially to support God's work through our ministry. You will find several options to do that by clicking on the word Give in the menu on our website at kentwoodcommunitychurch.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you're also new at our church, there's one thing we do when we read scripture out of respect for it, we stand. So will you stand with us? I'm going to ask Pastor Debbie to help me. We're in Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read the first verse of chapter 28. You will follow along with her back and forth through the first seven verses. Hear the word of the Lord. Matthew 28, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Verse 2. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning. His clothes were as white as snow. Verse 4. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel of the Lord said to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Verse 6. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said he would happen. Come, see where his body is lying. And now go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you in Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. Let's pray. And I'm asking today, Lord, that the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts, will be pleasing in your sight. And as the prophet Samuel prayed long ago, we pray now. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, Pastor Debbie. Well, the birth of a child is the most exciting of all events. Would anybody agree with that? I remember before I was married... I was a freshman at Taylor University, and I'm dating myself in the year of 1985. And we went to the country of Kenya. We went to the famous Rift Valley, and we went to the famous hospital of Tenwick. And a doctor allowed me to walk into a actual C-section in process. And I thought I was going to pass out because I have nothing to do with medicine. And I'll just say something that was the most amazing thing I'd ever experienced. But what was so amazing about it as he was performing the surgery, it wasn't just one baby, but there were two babies in there. Now, I'm a twin, and uh, I was pretty uh, excited about that. My mother's in the front row. When I was born back in 1966, I guess they didn't do an ultrasound because I was told uh, it was my sister and I, and uh, I was always a gentleman, and I said ladies first, so she uh, uh, came out. And from there, my mother did not know she had twins. Can you imagine? And after my sister was born, they had her name and everything as I am told, and all of a sudden the doctor says, there's another baby in there. And as a result, we were able to share life together in an amazing way. The one thing that pulls us together in life is the birth of new life. Now, I had that when I was a college student, but if, if you, what you may know is that I finally got married, and as we got married, we had our own children. I think those are on the screen now, and I didn't know anything about children, but I remember when our first child was born, what are they laughing at? <laughs> He looks a little older, doesn't he? Both of us. 
My children today are 27 and 26 and 23, two of them biological and one of them we adopted. The, each of them, I can tell you exactly where we were. We were living in Denver, Colorado at a ministry. And, and I remember when my firstborn was actually occurred, I knew everything about that. I knew, secondly, what was happening, and I was fearful. And then they gave us this baby and said, you can go home. And I thought, how do we do this? Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? We, were, we lived far away from family, so we didn't have moms and dads and all that kind of uh, help. We just had to figure it out as we went. And then uh, I remember my second child was born, Michaela. I remember it was in Denver. I remember it was April 13th. I remember it was snowing. I remember looking out and going, I will remember this day the rest of my life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then my third child, we adopted. Sure, I wasn't there when she was, uh, uh, by, when she was actually physically born, but I remember when she was uh, uh, three years old and we were in the orphanage and she came running directly to me, not mom, but to me. And she jumped into my arms and gave me the best hug anybody could ever be given. And I looked at my wife and I said, because they said, you can have this baby or you can choose another one. And when she grabbed me with those arms and squeezed my neck, I was like, this is our baby. Who else could we have, Right? You understand what I'm saying? New life and the craziness of our world that we live in, it's the one common denominator that we come together with and we celebrate new life together. It's a powerful, powerful thing. How many of you understand what I'm saying? You're moms and dads and you know exactly what I'm saying. You totally get it, right? I, 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 I want you to know that Resurrection Sunday is exactly that. Uh, the resurrection is all about life. And the one name that gives that life is Jesus. Can somebody say Jesus? One more time, Jesus. That is the name that is above every name that gives life. Now, unfortunately, as you already know, we're born into a world that's not much about life. Death is all around us. Brokenness screams at us at levels we simply are frustrated with. Pain and suffering scream at all of us personally. And if you've lived long enough, you know exactly what I'm saying. Your pain is distinctly yours with your story and what you've experienced. But what I will say to you as it relates to this issue called pain and as it relates to God, we typically have one of two responses to this. One response is simply this. Because of the pain, because of the death, because of the brokenness, I want nothing to do with God. If this is the God that I'm to serve, I say I don't want anything to do with him. Or there's a second response to pain, suffering, and death. And that is that I will bow my knee and say, I need you because this world is so messed up. It is true that we all, could, we don't agree on much, but we definitely agree on the fact that the world is sideways and the world is upside down. We're in a bizarro world, so to speak. Right is wrong and wrong is right. War and interpersonal conflict and hurt, dysfunction, mental health challenges, corruption, abuse, Personally, right here in Grand Rapids, we, we grieve the loss of life with Patrick Loyola. We have the shootings last week in uh, New York City in the subway. This morning while we slept, 11 people were shot in Pittsburgh. Yesterday in South Carolina in a mall, another mass shooting. These are normal things for us today in our death and brokenness of the world we live in. And on a global scale, we, we look from afar about Ukraine and the mass genocide that occurs and a, a madman that's about ready to push a button on chemical weapons or even the nuclear device. And we sit back and we wait, wait a minute, you talk about life, but death is all around us. Death is screaming at us. 
And as a result, I don't know if there's a more important Sunday that I've ever had in my life. And I want you to know that I came into a relationship with Jesus at 15. So this is the 40th time I've celebrated that he is risen. And every single year, anybody relate to this? It gets sweeter and sweeter and more amazing. Anybody with me? More amazing. Resurrection Sunday is amazing. And I would say to you, I choose life. What about you? I will choose life every single time. And I want to give you just three simple thoughts this morning as we celebrate his resurrection. As we choose to move from death to life. The first thing that I want to say to you is simply this. We must choose that we move from being dead emotionally and physically to being alive emotionally and physically. Will somebody repeat after me say, I choose life in Jesus. One more time. I choose life in Jesus. What does that look like? Let me give you three illustrations to that. In John chapter 5, Jesus enters this area called Bethesda. I have been to this location. And at that location, there's a pool that people who are sick would actually go in, like the, the, the baptismal. And they would, they would soak there if they had various infirmities and, and challenges. And Jesus walked into this area. And as he was there, there were lots of sick people all around. And the story tells us he looks at one man who hasn't been walking for 38 years on a mat. And Jesus looks at him and he says, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? He doesn't even get it. He's like, well, uh, nobody's helped me into the water yet. And he goes, you don't understand. Pick up your mat and walk. Can you imagine? 38 years, emotionally struggling, could possibly emotionally be dead. Physically, his, de his legs are dead. But when Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk, something amazing was going to happen. He was going to move from death to life, emotionally, and even with his legs, physically. Why? Because he encountered the resurrected Jesus who is there to make a difference. He was once dead and now he is alive. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying today? Yeah? <laughs> Secondly, in Mark chapter 5, there's a dad. I, I can relate to dads. I got three adults and I got a new son-in-law. Good to have him in the family. We keep watching him. He's doing well. <laughs> but in Mark chapter 5, in Mark chapter 5, there was a desperate dad. And he would do anything for his daughter, as I would do anything for my son and my two daughters. And he only had a little time left, the scripture says. She was dying. And he had heard about this Jesus. And when Jesus landed in his vicinity, there was a mass of people around him. And they were brushing up against Jesus. And they were all trying to get a little bit of him. And Jesus, as he's getting through this, this, this man who was desperate enough with his daughter to push through the crowd. He was also a leader in the community. And he humbled himself. And even though he had this image, he was a religious leader. And he had it all together. He was desperate. His daughter was dying. And he'd heard of this Jesus. Just maybe, just maybe he could help her. She was going to be dead physically. Maybe he could make her alive. And he goes to Jesus. He said, can you help me? Uh, how did Jesus respond? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You cut line. Uh, go back, take a number. I'll get with you momentarily. Not at all, all right? He took him by the hand. And as they were moving, the crowd continued to press up against him, Scripture says. And as the crowd engaged him, they, they got slowed down. And in that process, this man's servants came. Do you know somebody well enough that they don't have to say anything? You can see it by their expression on their face. He knew what they were going to say. Uh, the whore in their face said it all. Don't, don't bother the rabbi. Don't bother the teacher. It's too late. 
your daughter, she's dead. Jesus overheard it. He said, ignore it. Grabs his hand and said, let's go. In that culture, when somebody dies, you think we grieve, you think we wail. We lived in the Middle East for 10 years. They wailed. And scripture says when they approached the house, they could hear the wailing and the crying from a distance. And Jesus ignored the, 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 the reality that everybody felt. And as he walked into the house, he said, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And it says in scripture, they laughed at him. And Jesus ignored the laughter. He took the parents. He took his three closest disciples. He walked into the room. And this is what Resurrection Sunday is all about. And he looked at the little girl and he said, Talitha Kulion, I say to you, get up. And she once was dead and now she's alive because she had encountered Jesus. It took the desperation of a dad to make that possible. And then the last one hit close home to Jesus. His name was Lazarus. That was Jesus's peeps. That was his people. And he was busy doing ministry. And Lazarus got sick and he died. And Jesus was so delayed. John 11 said it was been four days he'd been dead. And Jesus approached all of his, his peeps. And as he got there, he saw their grief and their pain and their suffering. And what did Jesus do? He wept with them. And he, was, he knew what he was going to do, but he wept with them because he knew their pain. And then he made that declaration. Pull, move away the stone. And he called out, Lazarus, come forward. And in that mo moment, Lazarus, who was physically dead, is now alive. I declare to you today with these stories that because of Resurrection Sunday, what we need to understand is simply this. That first individual had to be desperate enough and had to have the faith to get up and carry his mat. Even 38 years, he'd never done that. In a moment, for those of you that are in this place, I'm gonna call you to that kind of boldness. Are you in that great a need that you're willing to pick up your mat and say, I, I wanna go towards Jesus? Some of you need to be as desperate as the Father and say, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what people think about me. My image simply doesn't matter. I need life. And that life is only in Jesus. And then finally, I need to have the faith of Lazarus peeps to say, Jesus can surely turn something from death to life. And that's what we need today as we deal and understand the world in which we live in today. You and I need the key point is death has no victory. Death has no victory over anyone who engages Jesus, amen? Let's decide to move from death to life, what do you say? Let me give you the second point this today, and that's simply this. We must choose to move from being dead spiritually to being alive spiritually. Somebody say again, see, I choose life in Jesus. One more time, I choose life in Jesus. And if you're new to KCC, you say, why does he have us repeat? That keeps you asleep, uh, uh, not falling asleep. I talk fast and I'm very uh, passionate, but I, I see the most amazing people resting in Jesus when I preach. <laughs> Trust me, I've been there. I empathize. What does it mean to be dead spiritually? Good question, isn't it? What does it mean to be dead spiritually? That's where you and I come to a point in our own lives when we say, I no longer acknowledge the spiritual realm. It does not exist. It does not affect me. And what they mainly move towards is what we call naturalism. I only will look at that which I can see, 
which I can touch, which my senses can engage with, I no longer believe in the supernatural. All that you see, that's all that exists. That's naturalism, that's not spirituality. It moves to the extreme of ideology, what we call nihilism. Nihilism says, I don't believe in anything. I don't care to believe in anything, and I'm okay to not believe in anything. But classic nihilism, at its definition, basically says this. Nihilism means all values are baseless. Life has no meaning. Nothing can be known. Extreme pessimism and radical skepticism. Are you dead spiritually or are you alive spiritually? I love the writings of Lee Strobel. He's a lawyer who was an atheist and he started to actually put Christianity on trial. I love loving God with all my mind. Anybody with me? I don't believe it's a religion that you park your mind and it's only about emotion. And here was a lawyer who was an atheist and declared God does not exist and began to basically dive in to see whether or not Christianity was true or not. And then he came to this, here's a quote from him. He actually converted to Jesus and Christianity and this is his reasoning why he could no longer believe in atheism. Catch this, I love this. He said, if I was going to stay and maintain my atheism and be consistent with who I am, he said this, I would need to believe that nothing produces everything. I would need to believe that non-life produces life. Randomness produces fine tuning. Chaos produces information. Unconsciousness produces consciousness. And non-reason produces reason. He said, I simply do not have enough faith to be an atheist. And if you find yourself in a moment where you say, I don't believe in the spiritual realm, where it basically takes all of us, if it's truly the natural realm, at the end of the day, it's always about, it's a survival mentality that somehow I'm just trying to survive. Meaning and purpose are hard to obtain if it's all about me just getting to the next thing, just doing things that somehow will feed me. Now the question is, being dead spiritually, can you be in a religion, can you go to church and be dead spiritually? And the answer to that is obviously yes. America is full of people that tend churches but are dead spiritually. I'm reminded of a guy named Saul in the Bible. There was no individual that was more zealous and more passionate about his religion than Saul. As a matter of fact, the Bible said he literally was so uh, uh, passionate about his religion that he was out to kill anybody who opposed it. He was the one who held the coats of those who killed the very first Christian. And he applauded and it fed his, his, his life in such a way, Scripture says, that he then began to go to try attack Christians, arresting men and women simply because they call on the name of Jesus. And he did not even know he was dead spiritually, that he was lost in his religion until he was on a road towards Damascus and Jesus said, wait a minute, do you know who you're actually persecuting? It's me, the resurrected Jesus. And he was temporarily blind and he became known as Paul who became the greatest missionary in the church that we know today. Jesus warned us. He said that on the final judgment, they're gonna be in Matthew chapter 25, they're gonna be lots of folks that will say, Lord, Lord, wasn't I a good person? Ah, didn't my good outweigh my bad? I can say that over and over again. I can go door to door in America, and if I ask them this question, if you were to stand before God, and he would ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? Most people would say simply this, my good outweighs my bad. I'm here to declare to you today the truth according to scripture. Your good is not good enough. That's why Jesus went to the cross. 
He went to the cross because none of us can make it on our own merit. It was only what he did that enabled us to have a bridge to get there. Can somebody say amen? Amen. But many people on that day and many churches are deceiving us and giving you a false sense of security. But he said, it is easy to go to, to the broad road and many will choose it and it ends in destruction. But narrow is the road that leads to eternal life and only a few find it. Let me say this last point about being, moving from being dead spiritually to alive spiritually, and that is this. You sit here today, and I have no clue where most of you are spiritually. You could either be a passionate follower of Jesus. You could be a nominal follower of Jesus. You could be somebody on a journey towards Jesus. You could be a denier of Jesus. You could be somewhere in between of all of those. But let me just say this, because I'm a man of truth, because I will be, given, I will be held accountable before God. So I give you the truth, and you as an adult can say whether you believe it or not. But I'm free because I give you the truth according to God's word. Amen? We know that if, in fact, wherever you are on this journey, that if you continue on a journey in denial of him, Romans 1 says, understand this. There is a timetable that only God knows. And that timetable is where you say, there is no God, there is no God, there is no Jesus. Eventually, you will cross a line that God says, enough is enough, according to Romans chapter 1. And you may say, well, how do I know that I've crossed that line? Good question. And you know how you, you do, according to the Bible? And it's simply this. You will no longer feel anything. You won't care. You won't ever feel anything. You won't be convicted. You won't have anything in your heart that has anything drawn to God. In other words, you've said, I don't believe. I've hardened my heart. I want nothing to do with him. Let me just say this. Today is your day to make that choice. Let's decide to move from death to life. I'm not here to judge you. Jesus told us in Matthew 7, do not judge or you will be judged. I've got my own issues to deal with. I'm reminded of Micah 6, 8. I'm just trying to walk humbly, love mercy before my God. I'm not here to get into your business. But when we join together, it is my responsibility to give you the truth. And then you have the responsibility because God gave it to you to say whether you want it or whether you don't. Can I get an amen? The key point is simply this. Choosing Jesus brings life in eternity. Brings life in eternity. Let me give you the last point this morning, and that is simply this. We need to understand that death is swallowed up into eternal life. Death is swallowed up into eternal life. One last time, will you repeat after me? Say, I choose life in Jesus. I hope you get that. And Pastor Debbie and I read this story about what this actually means. That this amazing supernatural event occurred, and it was women. I love the fact that it was women who Jesus first talked to in a male-dominated society. It was the women who first heard that he had been resurrected, not men. Can I get amen from any woman in the house? Right? And you all know I gave you my wife's look when she does this. I learned it from her, but I can't do it as good as she can, right? And we realize, we realize that in that supernatural moment, the earth shook An angel descended and moved the rock. And I love the fact Debbie read it with you. And the angel sat on the rock. I think that's pretty cool. Like, and here I am, right? And this dialogue begins. And they realize that he's not here. He's not among the dead. He's among the living. It's an amazing fact. People will say, 
There are a lot of theories that have been going on throughout the years. Is, uh, well, maybe the disciples came and stole the body. Well, if you think and use your head, what you need to first realize is that there were Roman guards there with weapons. And these disciples just a few hours earlier ran like cowards. How did they in a few hours get the, get the motivation, get the courage to go and move a, a two-ton rock and uh, actually uh, confront the Roman soldiers? Doesn't make any sense. Secondly, these cowards who wanted, uh, wanted to only save their skin, the disciples, all eventually, all eventually died for their faith. What happens inside of you? Here's what I want you to realize. Nobody dies for a lie. Even if it's not the truth, they believe it is the truth, but nobody dies for a lie. And it, scripture says that 500 at one time saw him and the disciples were changed and they went to the rest of the world to preach. And you and I sit here as a result of that. That is where death was swallowed up into victory. Death was defeated at that moment. Good news for you all. Are you fearing physical death? You, have to, you don't have to fear it any longer. It, it, it's lost its sting and we have the reality to know that we are now have access to God. And Jesus tells us clearly, you wanna know what love is? All you have to do is look at Jesus and the cross. Greed? Jesus is the example of that. And he says to us today, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done, what you thought, what you said. I say to you, John 1, 12, to every one of you who are desperate enough, who will pick up their mat and come to me and say, I, I need you. I will give this gift called eternal life. It's for all of you. It's for every single one of us. It's what he tells us today. Now here's the other cool news. You ready? I get, real, I get more excited than I was even excited. For those of us that run, he says in Matthew chapter 18, guess what? I'm gonna run after you. I, I remember when I was dating my wife, I kinda liked the, the, the pursuit. You know what I'm saying? I liked that she allowed me to pursue her a little bit. But God in his amazing love will continue to pursue us. Cause in Matthew 18 says, you may have a hundred sheep and 99 of them are good. And they follow all the rules, but there's the one, it's just the one. You know what I'm talking about? And I love the one so much, I'm gonna leave you all here and risk it. I'm going after the one, I'm going after it. There's not a mountain I won't climb. There's not a door I won't break down. There's not a hill I won't engage to come after you. And for some of us that are over here in death and we're saying, I don't want you. He's still there, just like this. He's never gonna leave. That's the beautiful thing of the gospel. But you have the choice, don't you? You have the choice to say yes or no to that. I want you to know in my own life, I gotta make it personal. It was 40 years ago. I cannot believe how fast time has passed. But other than the birth of my children, is that decision is like it were yesterday, July 28th, 1982. I was 15 years old and I was, I was searching. And now that I look back at that moment, God was already chasing me down. He was doing all these things in my life to bring me to that exact moment where I was desperate enough, where I was in need, where I was like, God, if you're real, prove yourself to me. And my friends, I don't know if I have the words to articulate it, but I will just clearly say it this way, is that it's, and I say it over and over again, and I will continue to say it, and the longer I'm your pastor, you're gonna be so tired, you all will be able to repeat it, but that's okay. And that is this, it so changed me. You wanna know about evidence, whether the resurrected Jesus is actually true? It's standing in front of you. It so changed my life. Everything about me as a 15 year old, that it so changed me 
that I'm more excited now than I've ever been, that I can know him more, that I can be his hands and feet and love a world that desperately needs to be loved, that I really don't care what other people think about me. I've let that go a long time ago. Scripture says if you're worried about other men and women, then you can't follow Christ because they're going to mock you. The days of us being this, 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 this uh, uh, majority is out of, out of the question. You will be mocked for following Jesus. Is that not true to anybody? He so changed my life. That's the evidence. And I can tell you all about it that I feel him and I sense him. But let me illustrate it this way. Billy Graham did it many years ago. If you want to know whether God exists or not, it's like the wind. I can't touch the wind and I can't see the wind, but I sure can feel the wind. I sure can hear the wind and I sure can see the effects of the wind. I stand before you today as, I, as, a, as your pastor and the reason why, the, the guy who can't speak English without creating a mickism, and in my weaknesses he is strong, but he so changed me that now I can say to you, that I feel him and I can hear him and I can see the results of his, of his work in my life and in many of your lives. Is that not the greatest testimony that we can give today? And Romans tells us clearly, I love Romans 10, 13, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone, I, I don't need to go to the Greek. That is pretty simple. I can dissect it, I can exegete it, I can do all the rest, and it still comes back to the same meaning. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He doesn't show prejudice. He's not trying to show um, um, special treatment to other people. He's saying, anyone who calls on him, come as you are, and I will give you the hope you want. But the question is, are you desperate enough? Do you want it? Are you gonna keep doing it your way, or do you wanna do it his way? Simply all you gotta do is this. Come to a point where you say, I messed up, I turn to you, I need you. And I believe you are the way. That's simply all it is. And then you and I move from death to life. It makes all the difference in the world. I pray today that as I give you a source of encouragement, I pray for every single one of you, even though I don't know your name. I pray through the seats before you arrived. I came in early before anybody was in the building praying that God would encourage each and every one of you. For if you are in life already, that you would walk away more encouraged in your faith. But if you are on a journey, that you would say, today is my day. Does this make sense to anybody? Amen? We're gonna do something pretty cool. I like doing cool things, at least in my thought of what cool is. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads with me. I'm gonna ask Paula to come out if she will. Let's pray for a second. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that your power and your spirit would be in our midst and that you would do what only you can do in our lives. I commit the few minutes that we have. We're gonna do some baptisms, Lord, and it'll be fun and we'll close with some cool worship and celebrating you. But before we do that, Lord, I'm praying for you to do something that only you can do. I acknowledge I can't change anybody's heart. That's your job. You're the only one that can touch a heart. You're the only one that can speak to somebody, whether they say yes or no, whether they harden their heart or whether they open their heart, that's their choice. And I'm grateful that you love us enough to make us and give us the choice. So I just give you this moment right now. 
and pray that you would be in our moment. In Jesus' name, look up this way. If you're newer to KCC, one thing you'll find out about me is I'm very direct and I call you to real, authentic response. Because if you can't do it in this room, you're not gonna do it out there where people are antagonistic. If you can't respond when people are for you, how are you gonna live for Jesus when people are against you? So here's my call. On Resurrection Sunday, I don't know why you're here. Maybe it's because of the family, maybe because it's this or the rest. But what I wanna do in a moment is I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pick up your mat and come and allow me to pray with you. On a journey towards Jesus, you've experienced the death, whatever that looks like for you, and you wanna experience life. You're courageous enough with all the people around to come and stand that I can pray with you. Maybe you've known Jesus and you need, and you've kind of like one of the sheep, you've gone astray and you find yourself here today and go, oh my gosh, if that's you, guess what's happening? If your heart's already pounding, if there's already something happening in you, that's the Holy Spirit. Now you can shut it down or you can say yes to it, free will. Here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna ask you to stand. Go ahead and stand, church. And for those of you who are believers, it would be probably a good time for you to pray. Here's what I'm gonna do. I stand right here on this top step. Who in the, who in the uh, balconies, who in the galleries, who on the main floor are desperate enough and you don't care what anybody else thinks, you're gonna pick up your mat and you're gonna say, I need life and I choose life right now. And I just want, I just want you to pray with me, pastor. Just come and stand right here and I'll give you an opportunity. Come right now. Is there just one person that that's the case? Come right now, I need Jesus. I came here and now if your heart is beating, you have to have the courage, whether you're in a balcony or whether you're in a gallery, you need to get out. You may never have another opportunity. This may be your one opportunity. I ask you to come and stand right here. Stand right here. They're still coming. Give them time, folks. It's a big, big place. Come on, keep coming. Come on, church, you can celebrate them. We celebrate so many things. This is the biggest thing to celebrate. Come on, I'm giving you some time. Don't miss out on the celebration. Anybody desperate enough? Anybody says enough is enough? I want life. I choose Jesus today. I recommit my life where I come for the very first time and say, I want you, Jesus. They're still coming down the, the aisles. Let's go, church. You got it. You got enough to continue to give them their opportunity. As they're coming, they're still walking down. The thing that will change your life is pretty powerful. Come on, church, you got it. This is pretty exciting. We're still walking down. I'm gonna stay here until they're all down here. I don't know about the rest of you. We're gonna wait until every single one of them come. Amen. Come on, they're still coming. I, 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 this is just real response. This is just amazing response. 
This is just amazing response. Amen. Amen. You can keep coming as I talk, but I want to talk to the rest of you down here. Look up this way at me. I don't know what your was or your why or why you came forward. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the pain and the suffering and the struggle and all the things that you didn't ask for that you're going through. But I feel that God wants you to know, number one, that he loves you. Number two, there's, there's something that's called a new beginning, and that is this moment that you can trust him to do that for you. But there's one thing that we have to do is we have to wave the white flag and say, I've been trying to do it my, by myself and today I give up on that. I follow him, amen? Now here's what I wanna do. We need to, what the Bible says is we need to receive him. We need to say, I, I, I want a relationship with you. I, I was 15, I didn't even know what it was. I gotta tell y'all, I, I, I'm not, I, I, the funny thing about me, I wasn't religious, never have been religious. I just read the Bible, I believed it and started living it, all right? And I was, I was standing right where you were and all of a sudden I said, God, prove yourself and he proved himself so amazingly, here I stand today. And so what I wanna do is I wanna, I wanna pray a prayer. There's nothing magic with the prayer. I'm gonna have the believers and the, and the people in the church to pray at the same time with me. I'm gonna ask you, if you can pray this prayer after me and you can mean it, then God will hear you and your journey will begin. Does this make sense? But if you don't mean the prayer, then it's, it's, not, gonna be, it's not gonna do anything. It's gotta be from your heart. And then today the journey begins. And what you're gonna see is pastors are gonna get you some cards because what we do is it isn't just saying yes to Jesus and the candle is lit. It's us helping you to live the rest of your life. Does this make sense? So church, can we pray as they ask to say, I choose life in Jesus? Can you bow your heads? Everybody, let's bow our heads. And if you feel comfortable, you can raise your hands to heaven. If you're down here and you feel comfortable, raise your hands to your Abba, Daddy, Father. Would you repeat after me, everybody, if you can pray this prayer and mean it. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for all that I've done. I can't do it, but you can. I'm weak, but you're strong. I need your help. I surrender. I believe you are the Son of God. I accept your gift of salvation. I choose you from this day forward. No looking back. The cross before me, the world behind me, I fix my eyes on you. This moment, this day, in Jesus' name, I receive this gift and I choose you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we put our hands together for these folks?